For the royal family, it's a story that just won't go away. The U.S. Department of Justice reportedly pressing a Prince Andrew to come clean about his connection with the late convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. This week, the Queen's second son is back in the headlines as a transatlantic legal battle rages with U.S. law officials. The Prince's lawyers say the U.S. Justice Department is now seeking publicity rather than accepting an offer of help. Will this latest reminder of the Prince's dubious friendships throw the royal family back into crisis? Or has the firm distanced itself from the Duke of York? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Prince Andrew and the royals in a pandemic. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm part of the Royal Rota, which is a group of correspondents across print and broadcast who cover royal engagements. Roya Nikar is the Sunday Times royal correspondent. As part of the Royal Rota, she's been embedded with the royal family on state visits and official tours for the past 10 years. It's given her the chance to observe them up close. Last October, we were in Pakistan with the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. The plane that we were travelling on with William and Kate, the Voyager, which is the plane used by the Prime Minister and members of the royal family sometimes on tours, we were flying back from um, Lahore back to Islamabad and we hit a very, very bad storm, which the pilot tried to fly through several times. Quite quite scary, but quite amusing at the same time. Without getting into too much detail, it was, it was extremely hairy and actually we were forced to turn back to Lahore and land. And after that... <laughs> After we landed and everyone looked extremely green or white, William came to the back of the plane where we were to just make a joke about the fact that he'd been flying the plane <laughs> um, and to actually check that we were all all right. And it's sort of moments like that that you, you sort of see the mask removed a little bit. But there's one royal story where the shutters have firmly come down and which the family are not keen to discuss. 
Lawyers for Prince Andrew say he's offered to assist the U.S. Department of Justice on at least three occasions this year in its investigation into the sex offender Jeffrey. Well, the pressure Epstein. is certainly mounting on the prince, isn't it? And he feels that it is now time for him to portray himself in a different light and to come out and publicly speak about all these issues that have been going on behind the scenes. Now we're at Buckingham Palace this morning. I think it's worth reminding ourselves. This story about Andrew is just not going away. And I mean, this is quite an, an interesting development because US prosecutors have expressed a lot of frustration over the last few months that although Andrew in his um, Newsnight interview last year said that he would be willing to cooperate if required um, with the legal process around Epstein, they say he hasn't and he has avoided that. His legal team say that he has tried to uh, um, cooperate as much as he can, but this takes it on. The U.S. Attorney's Office in New York has said the royal was not cooperating. But in a statement just released by his PR firm, it's claimed Andrew has offered assistance. This is the U.S. Department of Justice actually requesting something that's known as a mutual legal assistance request to the Home Office. Jeffrey Epstein. It's said that U.S. officials have sent the U.K. what's called a mutual legal assistance request, which would have police here force the Duke of York to answer questions in some kind of format. It's been a and those are only used as part of criminal cases with a view to asking potentially witnesses or people who may have knowledge of crimes or things like that to potentially undergo an interview or provide a statement. Now, I think we should be absolutely clear there's no suggestion of any criminal wrongdoing by Andrew. And of course, he has consistently denied any wrongdoing or sexual relationship with Virginia Roberts, who was one of Epstein's victims. But it's quite a significant move for the Department of Justice to make this request to the Home Office. The Duke has insisted he offered on three occasions to help with the inquiry, but prosecutors in New York say that he'd sought to falsely portray himself as eager to cooperate. This whole story, as I've written and as have all my colleagues written a lot about over the last few months, is not great for the royal family overall. It's something that you know, keeps rearing its head. And I, it's clearly one of the main reasons, if not the main reason, that we now know that Andrew is not going to resume public duties. It was Royer who broke the story in the Sunday Times last week that Prince Andrew, rumoured to be the Queen's favourite son, will now step back from public life for good. After the Newsnight interview in November of last year, he issued a statement saying he was stepping back from public duties for the foreseeable future. And Andrew certainly hoped that would be a temporary measure that he would be able to rehabilitate his image and clear his name and resume official duties at some point down the line. Yeah. That is now permanent and he will not be resuming official royal duties. There is a feeling within the royal family that you know, it just wouldn't sit well with the public. It just can't be. So he is not coming back to public duties. And how did you get that story? Good sources. <laughs> <laughs> Good source. Fair enough. <laughs> and, and there's, but there's been no effort by the the palace to dismiss it. No, um, there hasn't. Part of my job is obviously weighing up the information I get from sources and putting that to the palace and navigating your way through the guidance you get for or against a story. I put that story up to the palace and discussed it with them, and there was no major resistance. There was no resistance at all to, to us running that. Do you know how the Queen felt about all this? Because there have always been rumours that Andrew is her favourite son. I think there is absolutely no doubt, um, and I know people I've spoken to who know the Queen, that when this all broke last November, it was a very difficult time for the Queen because, you know, this is her son, this is 
the reputation of the monarchy. This has impact on the rest of the royal family. But at the end of the day, the Queen moved very quickly on that, a matter of days between that catastrophic interview with Newsnight and the announcement the Duke was stepping back from public duties. And we know that that was after discussions with the Queen, the Prince of Wales, the Duke of Cambridge. Very much a family decision. But ultimately, you know, that was the Queen effectively sacking her son from public duties. That cannot have been an easy thing for her to have done you know, at the age of 93 that she was then, but she did. She is very practical and very pragmatic when she needs to be. I think Andrew was very much being lined up as someone who would potentially, you know, fill that role, accompany the Queen on more engagements where Philip wasn't there. We saw him take over the Grenadier Guards colonel role from Philip. So he was certainly being given more prominence. And that's gone now. So, you know, I'm sure that would have been tough for the Queen. What does this new you know, this stepping back mean? I mean, does he lose all of his military titles, for example? Well, not yet. At the moment, officially, he still holds on to his military commands. But there has been a growing feeling in the military and from some top brass military sources that they would much rather he now step back from those military links and military commands, given the fact that he's not going to be resuming public duties and given the fact these stories are still swirling, that it would be better for him to renounce those. So watch this space. Take us back to November when the big Newsnight interview happened. Today, you've chosen to speak out for the first time. Why have you decided to talk now? Because uh, there is no good time to talk about um, Mr Epstein and um, all things... It went out on a Saturday night. The BBC actually sent us an embargoed preview transcript of the whole programme. And we got that on Saturday afternoon and I read it and some of my colleagues at the paper read it. I have to say I was just aghast at what I read and couldn't quite believe what Emily Maitlis had masterfully been able to get from the Duke of York. But you were staying at the house of yes. a convicted sex offender. It was a convenient place to stay. There was, I, mean, I mean, I've gone through this in my mind so many times. We wrote pages and pages on it for the next day's paper. Watching it that night, that Saturday night when it went out, was even worse. It was quite hard to watch. Do you regret that trip? Yes. Do you regret the whole friendship with Epstein? Um, uh, now, uh, still not. And the reason being is that, that the, the people that I met um, and the opportunities that I was given to learn... Um, either by him or because of him, were actually very useful. I remember thinking I couldn't really see how Prince Andrew could ever have a public role again after that. And from what you'd known of his character over the years, was it a huge surprise? Not really. He does have a reputation of being lacking in humility, I think, is a diplomatic way of saying it. But even so you would assume that if you're given a PR opportunity like that to hold your hands up and say, um, I'm sorry you know, for the victims of Jeffrey Epstein or I'm sorry, you know, I regret my association with him. We didn't hear that. And that was an extraordinary opportunity missed for the Duke of York. And I think had he said either of those things, things may have been different now. 
This interview has been exceptionally rare. You might not speak on this subject again. Is there anything you feel has been left unsaid that you would like to say now? No, I don't think so. I think you've probably dragged out most of, the, most of what is required and, and um, I'm truly grateful for the opportunity of, that you've given me to, um, to be able to um, discuss this. It was interesting actually sort of watching Dominic Cummings' press conference recently in the Rose Garden at Downing Street when he was given the opportunity to express regrets. I could sort of sense echoes of the Prince Andrew interview because I think sometimes all the public want to hear is hands up, maybe that was the wrong thing to do or a little bit of humility and I think that was one of the many places in that interview where Prince Andrew fell way short. Do you know what the reaction was within the royal family? Yes, surprise, deep surprise. The Prince of Wales was on an overseas tour at the time. My understanding is he wasn't aware that interview was being done or was coming out until it had been recorded. I think it's fair to say it sent shockwaves through the family and all the households. Now, from that moment in November when the interview was broadcast, I mean, it's been a fairly turbulent time for the royal family. It was followed not that long after by what what the tabloids here are calling Megxit. Talk us through that. I mean, what's been happening behind the scenes? It was a bit of a roller coaster the last few months when the Duke and Duchess of Sussex announced in January that they were stepping back from public duties here to relocate to America, what they described as a progressive, new progressive role, and become financially independent from the royal family. I mean, that was a bombshell. A royal announcement that is sure to rock the United Kingdom and fans of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle just announced that they are, quote, stepping back from their senior roles in the royal family. A wow moment, isn't it? I mean, basically, as far as I can tell, I mean, this this statement landed in my inbox uh, less than 10 minutes ago. Um, They are resigning from the royal family. Uh, Simple as that. They are stepping back as what they call senior royals. Let me just read you the statement that they've issued uh, literally in the last few minutes. For me... And for, and for my wife, you know, there's a, there's a, of course there's a lot of stuff that hurts, um, especially when the majority of it is untrue. I will not be bullied <laughs> into, into, into playing a game that, that killed my mum. Did anyone think that they were having challenges? Yes, we all knew that. We'd seen Harry and Meghan give that ITV interview um, to Tom Bradby, speaking about how difficult life was. I really tried to adopt this... British sensibility of a stiff upper lip. I tried, I I really tried, um, but I think that what that does internally is probably really damaging. But I don't think anyone thought that they would quit royal life in quite such a dramatic way so soon, less than two years after their wedding, another incident that shook the royal family right to the core. But again, I thought what was really interesting from all of that was just seeing how quickly the Queen responded to it. She made it absolutely clear this couldn't drag on and that she was going to hold the Sandringham Summit with Harry, Charles and William and negotiate a deal. And within the space of a week or 10 days, that deal had been struck. That was huge. Within the space of a few months, three senior members of the royal family stepping back from frontline duties. You spoke to Prince Charles not long after that. Did he, did he talk about what had happened? 
so much, Your Royal Highness, for doing this. Thank you very much. Um, I wanted to just ask, you're renowned for being very conscious of how you live sort of sustainably and environmentally with your households. It had been agreed I would talk to him uh, at the World Economic Forum in Davos before Megxit. Obviously, talking to him after, very soon afterwards came with a lot of sensitivities. I'm saying one thing is, is to understand, everyone to understand the importance of the bioeconomy. I got the Prince of Wales on a day where he was, you know, he was willing to engage. And while I didn't ask him directly about Harry and Meghan, he was on his way to a tour in the Middle East. And, you know, I said to him, are you a peacemaker, Your Royal Highness, with a bit of a smile and a raised eyebrow? And he knew exactly what I was asking about. Are you a peacemaker, Your Royal Highness? <laughs> I'd rather be a peacemaker. And all credit to him, he gave me his response. I am a peacemaker. So I'd rather be a peacemaker. I'd rather bring people together. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. So at, at the start of this year, Prince Andrew had, had been forced to step back. The Sussexes were leaving. The royal family was in some state of disarray, I guess. And then coronavirus happens. How have they, how have they been coping? It's interesting. I think in many ways, coronavirus, as devastating as it has been for many, many thousands of people, people talk about coronavirus being a war. And I think the royal family have had a good war in that sense. I'm speaking to you at what I know is an increasingly challenging time, a time of disruption in the life of our country. The Queen's very historic address to the nation back in April, which I think went right to the core of how important her role as head of nation and head of state is. Really, I think a lot of people found a lot of reassurance from those words that she delivered. But while we may have more still to endure, better days will return. We will be with our friends again. We will be with our families again. 
We will meet again. We will meet again. We will be with our friends again. And she gave an Easter address, that speech she delivered on V-Day, um, V-Day 75. I speak to you today at the same hour as my father did exactly 75 years ago. Do you think there's something about the nation at times of crisis that actually makes them look on the royal family, you know, despite the scandals or, or the, the difficulties it's been going through recently, just look on them as sort of a reassuring constant. Yes, absolutely. And I think if you look at the viewing figures for that first address by the Queen, more than 24 million people tuned in to watch that, I think was the second highest viewing figures behind Boris Johnson's address telling everyone we were going into lockdown. I think that gives you an idea of at the age of 94, people still really want to hear what the Queen has to say. And more than ever now, she has that unique head of nation, head of state role that is not political. So a lot of people that, you know, don't feel like she has an agenda. She is this almost grandmother figure to the nation. And whether it's during coronavirus, whether it's during national tragedies like Grenfell, where we saw her get down to the site sooner than Theresa May did, there is something about that role that I think is unique in British public life. And whether you're a monarchist or a Republican, people still acknowledge that the Queen has a unique place in, in public life. It reminds me of the very first broadcast I made in 1940 helped by my sister. We, as children, spoke from here at Windsor to children who had been evacuated from their homes and sent away for their own safety. In those addresses, she made reference to the Second World War, which, again, was another moment where the royal family were very much at the heart of the national effort, as indeed was she as, as a young princess back then. Are there useful comparisons to be made? During the Second World War, King George VI and the Queen, Queen as she was then, the Queen Mother, were at the heart and centre of the nation's morale-boosting efforts in the sense that a lot of people in government encouraged the King and the Queen to leave, either leave London, leave the UK, and they wouldn't. They wanted to show solidarity with the public. You know, we saw Princess Elizabeth at the time become a volunteer and we saw her you know, driving trucks and serving with the auxiliary service then and they were very much part of the national effort during the second world war and i think that we have seen something similar during coronavirus from the royal family william admitted last week he's been secretly volunteering on give us a shout which is a national mental health text helpline he's been working secretly as a counselor during the coronavirus pandemic we have seen sophie wessex helping to pack up and deliver food parcels it just goes to heart to the heart of the question what is the royal family for in their minds they are there you know to serve the public and to highlight important causes and we saw that during the war and i think we, we've seen it a lot during coronavirus What about the rest of the royal family? How have they fared during the pandemic? The Prince of Wales has been very active, as have the Cambridges. Yes, we're not doing public engagements out and about at the moment with them, but they are very active at the moment doing virtual engagements, so Zooming into care homes, or the Prince of Wales is very active on social media at the moment, recording lots of you know, video messages, as is the Duchess of Cornwall. Uh, International Nurses Day... My family and I want to join in the chorus of thank you to nursing and midwifery staff all over the country and indeed the world. Is his activity on social media a new thing? He's definitely ramped it up, to use a favourite phrase at the moment. <laughs> and I wrote about that last Sunday. We, we 
had a um, headline the Instagram king. He has definitely been more active, but he's had to be because that is the way that the Royal Households are reaching people at the moment. It's virtually, it's through video recordings and messages. So he's definitely putting out more content on social media. During the coronavirus crisis, how do you do the Royal Rota? <laughs> well, it's a very good question. We now cover engagements virtually. So the first number is five and eight. 58. One little duck, number two. For instance, the recent engagement that William and Kate did where they zoomed into care home and played bingo with some of the residents. I was actually on the road for that. And it just works in a slightly different way. We see the footage. Hello, Joe. Well done. We're able to speak remotely to the people they've spoken to, the care home staff there. We're still able to cover the engagements and and get the information out. The Royal Family have had a lot of coverage during coronavirus. And as you say, we've seen quite a lot of the Cambridges zooming in on, on, on charities that they've supported. Has this also just sort of highlighted the Sussexes, Harry and Meghan, stepping back because they've been much less visible in this period? Through no fault of their own, just very unfortunate timing for them that they, you know, they left the UK for good and went to Canada briefly, then flew to Los Angeles. They were hoping to launch their charitable organisation, probably would have been not launching it now had it not been for coronavirus. But instead, this completely unforeseen global pandemic has hit and they've had to really hunker down in LA. I mean, we've seen a few images of them out and about delivering meals to the vulnerable in LA, but they have certainly just by nature of what's happened, been much more low-key than the royal family here. So, yeah, it does. But, I mean, I think it just highlights what they've set out to do, which was, you know, cut official ties with the way that the royal family works here. It, it was interesting to see the attention the Duchess of Sussex garnered the other day when she did an online video talking about the George Floyd killing. Do you think Harry and Meghan will be able to have almost as much influence outside the official structure of the royal family as they would have done inside it. Do you think there's a way back for them to having a more official role again? There is certainly a way back because that new setup is going to be reviewed in March of next year. There has been a door left ajar by the royal family. But I have to say, I don't think this time, in in next March, I don't think Harry and Meghan are going to be looking to come back to official duties. I think um, that ship has sailed. But I think Harry and Meghan will still have a lot of clout in other ways. Immaculate Heart High School, graduating class of 2020. For the past couple of weeks, I've been planning on saying a few words to you for your graduation. Meghan's message she recorded for her old high school on the George Floyd killing was very powerful. And it got an enormous amount of attention, not just in America, but also here. And I realised... The only wrong thing to say is to say nothing because George Floyd's life mattered and Breonna Taylor's life mattered and Philando Castile's life mattered. And that is something that she would have found much harder to do had she still been in the royal family. But she is now able to use her voice in a different kind of way across a very wide platform. So I think they will still have a lot of clout, but just in a different kind of way in America, perhaps less so here. Interestingly, in the absence of Andrew, Harry and Meghan now, you're seeing other members of the royal family come to the fore more. Secretary of State, ladies and gentlemen, 
I'm honoured to join you as we formally mark the opening of this new Nightingale Hospital in the northeast of England. There's no doubt the Countess of Wessex, the Earl of Wessex, Prince Edward's wife, is certainly taking a more prominent position in public duties. She's always been very busy, very under the radar, Sophie Wessex. But the palace are definitely now shining more of a spotlight on the work she's doing through their social media. And only just over a year ago, I had the honour of opening the charity's Beacon of Light complex, which is helping so many people. And now, the Nightingale Hospital will be a beacon of its own, a beacon of care. She's popular in the royal family, she's popular amongst royal reporters too, just for being a very unshowy, low-key, very effective, safe pair of hands in the royal family. And I think we're seeing that now. So we are seeing this slight adjustment. She's just done a trip to South Sudan back in March. She does an enormous amount of charity work and a lot of official engagements. But I think we will certainly start to see and hear a lot more from the Countess of Wessex in the weeks and months ahead. Before coronavirus broke out, we understand that Prince Charles had already had this project of realigning the royal family. It's something he's been pushing for a while now. Tell me a bit about that. Well, it's not so much a project from Charles, as in he's not actively culling members of the royal family, not at all. But his view has always been that whenever he becomes king, you know, Charles thinks that a streamlined vision of the monarchy is going to be more relevant. The fact that we've lost three members of the royal family from public duties in the last six months means that it's happening much sooner than he planned and not in the way that he planned. But Charles's view is very much that I think down the line we will have fewer members of the royal family doing official engagements and receiving public funding and it will be very much a core. I think it'll be Charles, his siblings, the Princess Royal and the Earl of Wessex with the Countess of Wessex and his children, William, Kate and down the line, George, Charlotte, possibly Louis. And coming back to the Queen, we've recently seen pictures of her on a horse. How do we think she's coping with life in lockdown? I think she seems to be coping really well. I mean, these are unprecedented times. She's been living in this you know, bubble with the Duke of Edinburgh and very loyal team of household staff at Windsor Castle since March. And while we know she's not going to be doing public engagements until the threat from coronavirus completely disappears, you know, she is still working every single day. And I think that image of her riding at Windsor was a very powerful image. I mean, she didn't look 94. She looked way younger than that, of just how active she still is physically and mentally, and all being well, we will see her again on Saturday. Although there is no trooping the colour on Saturday, which would have happened, of course, in London, the Queen's Birthday Parade, there is going to be a mini trooping the colour at Windsor Castle, behind closed doors, where the Queen will take a military salute uh, and watch a little parade. Now... We've established that quite a lot of the royal family has had a pretty good war when it comes to coronavirus, but there are still the issues of Prince Andrew. We've just had a a reminder with the American authorities still seeking evidence from him. That is still a huge issue in the background. And then Harry and Meghan, who uh, are establishing themselves in America, but will still sort of be a distraction, I suppose, for, for the royal family here. A lot of people will ask... What is the point of the royal family? Are they still relevant? I think that you can sort of find your answer in the viewing figures that we discussed for the Queen's Address. 
1.4 million people plus tuning in to watch a 93-year-old give a national address, that tells you that people do still think that the royal family are relevant. And I think it has given the royal family, after a really rocky, rocky six months, you know, they have really been up and down. It has given them the opportunity to rally together, put on a united front and sort of put that nation's morale-boosting role back on. Having done that and having rehabilitated their image to some extent, do you think these latest headlines about Prince Andrew, will they be a real knockback? Do you know, I, I don't think they will, because... Metaphorically speaking, the royal family have put a little bit of distance between themselves now and Prince Andrew. So, of course, he is still the Queen's son and she remains loyal to him. But there is now a bit of distance between the royal family, the palace and Andrew. And so I think as long as this story swirls, it's not great for the royal family, don't get me wrong. But I think people see it very much as focused on Prince Andrew, not the wider family and the monarchy as a whole. This is the biggest crisis for them in how long has it been? What, what compares to what they've, they've been experiencing over the last few months? I think the, the shaking of the royal family over Andrew and Harry and Meghan leaving, I don't think we've seen the royal family go through a period that shaky since the death of Diana in 1997, which you know, rocked the institution right to its core. So it's, it's been pretty seismic. But they seem to have, they seem to be over the worst of it. I think they are in the process of emerging. They're emerging and I think they've got their ducks in a row and I think they know how to crack on in a way that is, in a different kind of way, in a way that focuses the public's view on the core royal family and what they're for. This week, lawyers for Prince Andrew have released a statement in which they say the Duke of York has, on at least three occasions this year, offered his assistance as a witness to the Department of Justice the statement goes on to say the Department of Justice are perhaps seeking publicity rather than accepting the assistance proffered. In response, the US attorney in charge of the case has insisted that Prince Andrew has sought to falsely portray himself as eager to cooperate with the inquiry into the sex offender Jeffrey Epstein and that he has repeatedly declined their requests to schedule an interview. The row continues. <laughs> You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Roya Nikar, the Sunday Times Royal Correspondent. You can read more of Roya's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producer today was Will Rowe. The executive producer is Leo Hornack and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. You can subscribe for free. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and more. Also, in these uncertain times, you can keep up to date and well-informed on the coronavirus and so much more every day with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Visit thetimes.co.uk slash subscribe to find out more. See you tomorrow.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.